If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. This week, we've got our Live Wild Live. That's where we've got callers that call in and get to ask their hunting questions. And for me, the best time to do these Live Wild Lives is during the hunting season. I've been out scouting. I've been out hunting. There's people that are on their way out hunting right now, or maybe even in the field that call in and say, hey, I have this question, or I'm going on a hunt fairly soon. So these are some of my favorite times to be able to connect and, and just answer your hunting questions. We also have, it's a little bit exciting this week because everybody that I talk to is going to get a prize. On the call-in shows, I love to give away some gear. This week, I'm giving away my own Live Wild apparel. We've got all this stuff, a lot of new stuff on the website, restocks on everything. So if you order, it'll ship right away. Uh, we had everything that was pre-ordered got shipped out. Now we've got some new items in there, some new hooded shirts with some elk logos, some t-shirts, new hats. We got requests. If you were some of the guys that asked for blaze hats for those places where you need blaze orange requirements like Colorado, Montana, or maybe you just like the added security of wearing blaze orange in the field, those, there's a limited availability of those currently right now. And so for those of you that are calling in, if I get to your question, Remember to stay on the line and a screener will get your information and we'll ship you some awesome, as I like to call it, swag, live wild swag. So this is a this is a fun call in because everybody that gets to ask a question is a winner this week. We don't have to pick a random winner. Everybody's a winner. If you're listening, you're like, hey, how do I get on this? You know, these lives I, I announce fairly quickly about the same day on my Instagram channel through stories and some other posts. And that way, for those of you that are paying attention, get in, get to call, you're the ones on here. So thank you guys so much for calling. And we're going to jump into our first caller here. 
Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Hello? Who am I talking to? You there? You hear me? Yeah, I got you. How's it going? Hey. Awesome. Hey, my name's Ben. I'm a youth onset hunter here in Utah. I have some questions about some late season mule deer. Yeah, go for it. So we have the extended archery here in Utah. And I was wondering, so I've been out scouting stuff, and they're not quite moved down yet. But I remember last year, we had a lot of snow, and it was tough stocking in on them with the loud snow. I just wondered if you had any tips or tactics that would that's good for um, late-season mule deer archery hunting. Yeah, that crunchy snow can be very difficult. I've encountered that in a lot of different places. And the thing about mule deer, right, that's what, that's part of the reason why some of those late archery mule deer seasons they allow because they're like, all right, the conditions are tough, you know, tough for success. But you can have some awesome hunting. I, I mean, hunting late season mule deer. I've got a late season tag myself this year. And it's just a really good time because you get the migration. Sometimes you catch a little bit of a rut or a second rut. You know, dealing with that crunchy snow can be tough. A couple of things, you know, you, you can play the weather. Sometimes you just got to go for it, you know, and, and make an attempt. Uh, one of the things that I do notice though, you know, I like to make those stocks middle of the day sometimes when it heats up it'll start to melt that snow a little bit and become a little more quiet some some years it's just always cold and it's just something that you battle so you just kind of have to make those attempts and move slow and and you know really just take your time on those stalks and then there's those other times where you can use ambush techniques as well uh, when it's really loud you know sitting back watching the deer and going okay what are these deer doing what kind of pattern are they going? Where are they feeding? Where are they moving? Is there a particular pinch point that they happen to be using a lot? And just being very familiar with the deer that you're hunting can also help. So you go, okay, well, he's here. I'm going to go play this leapfrog game where I'm going to get ahead of where he's at and then try to cut him off. In conditions and, and stalking deer that it's like they're in a position that I can't make a stalk where they're at right now because conditions are too loud, wind's bad, whatever. I like to think of a few steps ahead and go, okay, where's a likely place that he, he's going and then set up for that ambush. So you're almost trying to get ahead of them and let them come to you in some way where you have to move less. That can be a really good tactic when the conditions are not favorable for you as the hunter to, to get into position. Awesome. So when I follow, when like you, someone says, uh, you know, like watch the animal or like keep track of them or tabs on them, do I just have to watch them like all day, every day and like figure out their routine or can I like, is that pretty much the, the gist of keeping track of one animal, just watching them all day? Yeah, for the most part, you know, sometimes you, you watch him, you go, okay, he put himself into a good position now. Um, you know, the, the trouble with like certain areas is maybe it's a general area and there's a lot of other hunters and you kind of need deer to be undisturbed, yeah. right? So you can either be the guy spooking him or the guy watching him get spooked. You kind of have to factor yeah. that in too, right? So it's like, well, hey, there's a lot of pressure. If I let him sit, he's going to sit and somebody else is going to make a move. But if you have... There's a couple ways to do it, right? You could, in certain places, you know, you can either use, you know, it depends on what some states two-way communication is legal. And if you want to use that, you can. Otherwise, you could use hand signals with a spotter. Sometimes we'll get like a guy spotting and a guy stalking. And then the person stalking will be up on the mountain in a position where he can make a move. And the person glassing is like watching going, okay, he's moving this way. And you can kind of play that game of where you can see sometimes, can't see other times and get guided in. The other option is, you know, just, sure. just watching them and saying like, okay, overall, generally, I've hunted the same place maybe year after year or for the entire week. And it's like deer just seem to 
use this saddle. They seem to feed in this patch and then move off to these trees to bed. Maybe it's not every day. Maybe it probably won't be the same route or the same pattern, but you can, you can kind of put yourself in a position where you go, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go get into those trees because that's their bedding and they're feeding down here. And I'm going to like be in close proximity to watch them maybe move in this direction. And then as you see them coming, maybe you're on the backside of the ridge and you just adjust your position for where they're going. And what that allows you to do is move before they get there. So you, you mask that crunch, 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 crunch it through the snow by just kind of getting ahead of them and then making your play ahead of time. And then as, if the winds shift or whatever, okay, now it's time to back out and, and try something else. Um, or, oh, okay, can't, I can't fully commit to that, but maybe they, they can pass you, but you're already in a position where the timing's right. So now you can crawl through the snow as opposed to, or scoot through the snow as opposed to be stepping through it. And those are just some of the things that I've used in, on those late season hunts. And then also, you know, if, if you live nearby and you live, let's say, you, I don't know if you live in the area or whatever, but certain weather conditions happen, right? You get fresh snow, hunt those days. Like sometimes it's worth saving your time off or your days of just going, okay, I'm just going to play the weather conditions. If it's cold and it's dry and it's crunchy snow, but you've got a long season and you get some fresh snow a different day, hunt the fresh snow or you, the temperatures warm up, hunt those, those times when the conditions are a little bit better for stocking. Thanks a ton, man. Yeah, appreciate the call. And then stay on the line. We'll have uh, somebody grab your info and we'll send you some Live Wild gear. Okay, awesome. Thanks, bro. Yeah, thanks for the question. All right. Let's jump into our next caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, uh, kind of. I, my question comes about late season scouting for uh, kind of plains land mule deer hunting. So I have a tag in a different state. Uh, which I was fortunate to draw. However, it's somewhere that I'm not able to get far. Like it's a, it's a good drive and it's not somewhere that I'm going to be able to get to, to spend any time scouting prior to season. So my opportunity over there is going to be one season is going and I have, have the tag. Um, the, the roadblock I've run into is with e-scouting, you know, you've got hundreds, thousands of square miles of land that looks really similar um, with not a whole lot of topography. And so it, to me right now, it kind of just seems like, you know, pin in the tail on the donkey where you just pick a spot and go. Um, there is decent, decent road coverage to the area. So I'm just wondering about tactics for kind of covering that area come late season and being effective with the time that I have over there. If I have eight or nine days of, of kind of taking one spot, I'd like to go in back country, but if, going in backcountry is less effective, you know, than, than spending some time in driving roads and kind of getting away at the land. I'm just kind of trying to make a plan of how to go about that. Yeah. So, you know, when you're going into a new area and you've got, you know, a vast majority of land and you go, okay, how should I cover this? I mean, it sounds like if it were me and I had that tag and I, and I was looking at that area and I go, okay, here's an area that, you know, it's a late season, it's a draw tag there's potential that there's going to be fewer hunters and, you know, you kind of have more opportunity to hunt the landscape. I would probably look at covering a lot of that country, checking those roads and just getting a good lay of the land first, taking a day to preview everything. Then if I didn't see anything that I liked, uh, I, you know, or, or country was like, ah, this is hard to hunt. This isn't, 
the type of country that I'm looking for, then I'd probably start looking at those areas a little bit further away. Or if it's like, hey, I'm seeing a lot of people, I need to get away from these crowds. I'd really just take a day and just preview the area. I'd drive around, I'd, I'd get to glassing vantages, I'd check out pockets that looked good on the maps, uh, hit a few of those roads and just really just not even trying to look for animals, but just covering country as, as best I could, at least one day out of the days that I'm planning on hunting. And, and then knowing it gives you a good idea of, okay, I took, I, I did some e-scouting, whatever, but it let me kind of focus in on the places that I'd already highlighted, whether it's just a random dart on the map or whatever. And then it allows you to kind of go back and, and just have an idea of what that unit lays out like, some access points, I would probably just spend that first day really looking around. Then I would decide where I wanted to hunt. And then if I wasn't finding what I was looking for, I'd do the exact same thing again in a different spot and just preview it and cover as much country as possible. And that's the way that I would approach it. I hope that you were able to hear that and I hope that that helped. All right, well, we're going to go to our next caller here. Uh, yeah, my name is Mike Thomas. I'm from Bismarck, North Dakota. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good. Uh, my question is about guides and how can you pick a good guide and what should you be looking for in guides when out hunting out West? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, as a, as a guide myself, I have found that it seems like we get clients all the time that have been on multiple hunts or in multiple places and they've just run into terrible guides. And the hard part is the guides that are really good either have no availability because they're full up on repeat type clients or the prices are essentially double everybody else. And that's the unfortunate truth about it. However, there are really good guides out there that it might not be. Maybe it's a, a harder area to get tags. Maybe, you know, it's a type of hunt where people do it once and they don't necessarily need to do it again. I think that the one of the best things that you can do when you're trying to find someone to hunt with first is word of mouth. Anybody that you know that's been on the hunt kind of heeding their advice and saying like, this was a good hunt for me. This is what I liked. This is what I didn't like. The second thing that I would suggest is talking to references and references from both. If I was to ask somebody that I'm hunting with for the first time, uh, let's say I'm going on a guided trip, I'd say, hey, can I have some numbers of clients that have hunted with you? And I would be asking for okay, people that were successful is fine. But also I want to talk to some guys that were unsuccessful because I feel like the unsuccessful trips have a better gauge of the type of hunt and operation that you're dealing with. Because there's, there's going to be those times where, you know, the guide worked hard. That's what you want. You want, it's like, hey, I felt like I was in an area that was a, a good area. There's just, we, we didn't turn up the animals or I had an opportunity, you know, maybe even somebody that like had an opportunity and was unsuccessful and somebody that had no opportunity and was unsuccessful because that really tells you, okay, how hard do these guys work? Did he feel like the guy that was unsuccessful, was it still a good trip? Did he, did they put in the time and the work and have knowledgeable people? And it just, hey, it was just hunting and everything else didn't work out. Or is it like, yeah, it was a, pretty much a goat rope. And then I would just also ask the guys that were successful, you know, outside of the success, how was the hunt? You know, did everybody seem knowledgeable? Did it seem like a, a professional operation? Did you feel like, you know, the things that you're looking for as a, as a, a client, you know, whatever your particular standards are, what you're looking for, were those met 
for these people. And then the, just asking those kind of questions. And then when it comes to talking with the outfitter, you know, just doing some research a little bit and then, you know, asking for, you know, when you've got questions, if you've got a kind of a good rapport with the person you're talking with, does it seem like uh, this is somebody that I'd want to spend a week out hunting with? And, you know, adding all those things up, I think really helps you narrow your focus and say like, okay, this is a good operation to hunt with and then go from there. And I hope that answers your question. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Love what you do, Remy. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. We're going to go to our next caller here. Hey, Remy, can you hear me? Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Yeah, I got you good. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so my question is um, more of an uh, adult onset hunter. And I, I got my first bull this year with, with my bow, which was kind of cool. But I've heard a lot of conversations on terms of like how to just get a general bull, any bull, you know, doing cow parties, things like that. My question is, I want to get my daughters into this and just the hunting in general. And I got a seven year old and nine year old. So I have uh, a general deer tag. I actually have two where I'm at out in Idaho. So I can get doe or, or uh, bucks. And I'm, my question is like, if you're out there, I'm in North Idaho. So, you know, the, the panhandle where it's wooded areas, you know, yep. what, what advice would you have to someone that just like wants to get a deer just to get the kids involved? Like how would you necessarily go about, calling or doing things like that. I mean, I have different, you know, cow calls and the grunts, things like that. But if you're like, Hey, I have a day or two or a weekend or two to, to get a deer down to get my kids involved. What would be your advice for that in terms of, again, the only goal is to get my kids involved to let them be a part of it. And it doesn't matter if it's a doe or a buck to me. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. You know, on, on those kind of hunts and it's funny because like my wife and I just spent the last week with our, with our kids, we've got a, a lot younger kids. They're nine months old and two years old. And so we're with the two of us, very restricted to where we could go. Right. But we just wanted to involve them in the hunt and, and make that it a part of the hunt. So, you know, our plan was essentially the same thing. My wife was, had her, had her bow and she's like, I'm going for anything, doe, cow elk, whatever is legal, um, you know? And so when we plan our hunts out, there's places that I would go if I was just by myself hunting and, and there are places I'd hike into or whatever. And I kind of avoided that to just pick spots based on highest percentage of finding game animals, you know? And there's, there's some of that country where I kind of look toward, you know, places that hold what I consider almost like nurseries of like places that hold deer year round, places that are kind of, you know, known pockets of, of animals. And sometimes it takes a little while to figure those out. It's like places that you've hunted in the past and you go, okay, I, I've seen deer here a lot or elk here a lot or places where it's like highest percentage of just running into something. The other thing I think, you know, the nice thing with your kids' age is they can be a part of it and they can, they can do a little bit of the walking and the calling and, you know, maybe – rattling might not be the most successful tactic or whatever. You know, maybe it's better to, to, you know, move around in glass or what have you, but uh, anything where they can be involved in the hunt a little bit too, whether you think it's going to be successful or not, it's worth a try, right? So getting into a position, Hey, like it's a, a white tail tag and panhandle or whatever, and they can do a little bit of rattling, or maybe they've got their own set of binoculars and they can do some glassing just bringing them in and, and letting them be a part of it in that way, not just tagging along where it's like, hey, let, let's glass and they get the binoculars and look around and 
and that kind of thing is is awesome to be able to bring them in because you know the thing that i've found whether it's guiding taking new hunters out kids out i've been a part of a lot of first hunts and even hunts with kids that just aren't old enough to hunt and just going out and just making it fun along the way not just successful but fun as well and i think the fun factor is almost maybe even more important in some ways and then you know hunting those areas where you just have a lot more opportunity sometimes that's you know if i were to like describe an area i mean the lower foothills of most places are where most the resident animals live and most of those resident animals happen to be younger deer and cow or younger deer does cow elk stuff like that so you know focusing on that kind of part of the mountain places with good access where you can cover a lot of country those are kind of the places that we gravitated toward last week uh, because but we were in a kind of a unique situation like we couldn't get super far from the vehicle so it's like there's more roads in that country and there's more resident animals often in that country as well so that's kind of what we did and i think like you know combining areas where there's good percentage of chance of just seeing animals and then making it fun and involving the kids those two things are a winning combination yeah that makes sense and it's totally just i want them to have fun that's where i get their good snacks and let them do the calls and stuff i was just kind of curious on that especially where we're at it's all wooded but um i have a a random follow-up question if if it's okay um do you have a a specific sealed sharpener that you would recommend um because when i got my elk down my my knife got dull rather quickly and i had a a field sharpener, but I was kind of curious on your opinion on it, what you would take out in the field with you. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I've used a little bit of everything. It kind of depends on the knife that I have. And honestly, you know, I, I mean, when I get home, I, I love to just use, I've got like a bunch of different work sharp sharpeners. I've got the ones that are the stones. I've got, you know, then just some other steel type sharpeners. I've got pretty much a belt sharp. I've got every kind of sharpener known to man. And when I'm hunting and like, honestly, and it, it, people are probably like, why would you do that? The pull through just like, I don't know, Smith Sharpener, the Workshop has one now. I use those more than anything because it's like, you just have a job that you want to get done. And I mean, when I'm guiding or hunting through the season, I might do hundred animals, <laughs> you know, a season or whatever. And I'm, you know, constantly sharpening that knife and I just want it to be easy and fast. And sometimes that's like the best, you know, especially because there's, stuff on the blade and whatever and honestly like i've used the just any kind of pull through sharpener and had they work great it's sharp it's fast and you don't even have to think about it and then when you get home you can do whatever you want um i probably take a different sharpener on every single trip to be honest like but i'd say over the years like that's been my go-to of just like one that has a, a a set angle as long as the blade has the same angle and then, or I, some, some knives, I would just like reset the angle, but as long as that, and it's just enough to run it through a couple passes and keep going, you know, you don't even have, it's like just thoughtless in the, when you're cold, when you've got your gloves on, when it's dark out, when it's like pouring down rain and you just need a sharp knife, there's nothing better to be honest. That makes sense. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. I appreciate it. And thanks for the, uh, thanks for the call. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. See ya all right let's go to our next caller here all right welcome to live wild podcast who am i talking to hey remy this is chance i'm from new mexico how's it going chance good i had a question about uh bear hunting yeah go for it whenever whenever i'm down in southeastern new mexico uh the visibility is kind of 
not so great. Um, the peaks are all pretty timbered. Uh, how, what kind of ways do you use to like locate bears in that situation? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And so, I mean, with any bear hunt, bears are just very food centric, especially during the fall season. Cause they're just ramping up and trying to, to throw on extra weight. So a couple of things that I do, you know, it's, it's worked well for me in other places in New Mexico, you know, finding what kind of crops or food source there might be that time of year. So it depends where you're at, right? There's, there's, and sometimes the food source can be limited. Sometimes it's abundant. If there's like oak brush in that area, not sure if there is where you're at, but that can be like a really good food source for bears. If it's a good acorn year, not every year is a good acorn year. Other years it can be like, you know, pine nuts, pinion trees can be really good. And some years that's not such a good crop. So what I like to do is, is, is kind of, I'll move around and figure out, okay, what kind of potential food source is available that's, that's growing. And then I'll kind of hone in on that food source. If I can find like any kind of bear sign, that's a really good indication of what they're eating. So if you can find bear crap essentially and look through it and go like, oh, this is covered in acorns. This is covered in pine nuts. This is covered in, it's a bunch of rose hips. That's another one, like finding those wet areas. Sometimes in, in places where, Look, there's no good crops of acorns, no good crops of pine nut. Like it's just a, a weird year for it. Other stuff around wet areas might be a good food source. And then of course, any kind of other mammals, you know, so predator calling sometimes works really well when there's not a lot of great other food sources. Uh, when I do call for bears, I use just like a fawn in distress call. Trouble with it is you got to be set up in a, in a decent location with good wind. And then you just got to blow on that thing for an hour and a half and it, it gets tiring. So it's hard to do a bunch of stands in a day. But if you have an area where you think like, okay, this might be a, a place that bears are utilizing or you've seen bears in the area, that can also be a really good tactic. But if you can find any kind of bear sign, understanding what they're eating and then targeting as many places with that food source as possible is the best way to kind of figure out where they are in the particular area. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely give that a shot. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's like you kind of just have to wander around and for the most part until you can figure out like, oh, here's some here's some bear sign. Now, another thought too is like if the area that you're in has less water, I kind of concentrate on targeting water as well. If there's any kind of creek or whatever, those wetter areas tend to hold food and hold bears. They also tend to travel those areas as well. So they're going to need water too. If it's a real arid water holes and, and targeting that, looking for tracks and anything that indicates that there's bears around can help narrow your focus. And then once you figure out where the bears are, then you just kind of have to dissect like, okay, let's find some more sign. Let's, let's hunt this area. Let's try to figure out what they're eating and then where that food source is. And the more things you can narrow down, the better your chance of turning something up. Okay. Yeah. That definitely brings up a couple places in mind for me to start out. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, best of luck to you. Keep me posted on how it goes. And, um, yeah, good luck. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. We're going to go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, this is longtime listener, Pearson St. Pierre. I uh, just recently moved up to Anchorage, Alaska, but prior to the Oregon coast. And just want to say from your podcast, I've been really good at scaring elk with my bow, but I haven't officially got my first, but boy, I get close. <laughs> that's, hey, at least you're having fun and getting into them. You know, I think that's half the struggle is just getting into elk. So 
Um, yeah. Uh, it'll work out <laughs> right on. For sure. For sure. That e-scouting episode on the old, the original cutting was by far, I found the most valuable for me, but um, that kind of tailors to my question. Now that I'm in Alaska and the elk aren't as plentiful up here, besides those draws, um, kind of leaning towards doll sheep a little more is of course of the finger ridges on the elk. I just didn't know if there's any top of, uh, topo features for doll sheep that you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, the more rugged and inaccessible the country, the more sheep there's going to be in it. One thing that you're going to find, like I've, you find parts of the unit that have this, you need like this type of terrain that you go, it's ungettable. And if there's ungettable terrain in doll sheep country, there's going to be doll sheep in it. It's just now it doesn't necessarily mean that you can, that's the part of it, right? Like, I don't know how many doll oh, sheep yeah. I've seen on like spires of rocks. It's like, you can't get it, but it helps you pinpoint where the sheep are going to be. And they do move around those areas. So the sheep, like an area that has some inaccessible terrain, it creates a, it's creates a sanctuary. Uh, you'll notice like certain areas, they, it's like sometimes when you're cruising around, it's hard to tell because stuff never looks as rugged as it actually is in real life, like on 3D maps and other stuff, especially there because like the topo lines are so, it's like a, it's a different scale. So you look at it and you're like, oh, they're pretty gradual topo lines. And then you realize like it's a lot bigger scale. So you go, oh shoot, that's super steep country. But just finding those places where there's a mixture of broken country, rock feed and sanctuary you know mostly at the heads of the canyons around glaciers obviously can be some good some good country anywhere where there's that like real rough stuff especially in walk-in type units um you're probably gonna you're gonna have a good chance at, at finding rams you know th now that's not the same in every range in alaska but that's just my experience in the ranges that i've hunted in generally when you find that like stuff that's rocky stuff that's hard to get to there's going to be sheep there. And then you can kind of extrapolate out. It seems like the rams like that type of country the best because they have to survive to be a legal ram. They've got to be eight years old, maybe older, and they didn't do that by living in country that everybody can walk to and everybody can shoot them from. For feed, uh, are you just, what are, what are we talking? Like just looking for grains next to rocks or specific plants you have in mind? No, you know, I mean, mostly it's just those those classic green slopes you know they'll they'll okay. eat off of that i mean i've even seen them like scraping their teeth on lichen but for the most part it's just the you know the standard pretty much the hillside that's ever feed is not a problem for the sheep like they they've got that food but generally what you'll find is like a little more grassy patch that they're feeding in and then near some of that so, but it's like it's standard country where it's like it's got the grass it's got the the more grassed up slopes it mixed in with that rock and that's where they're going to probably be feeding it perfect i appreciate it i'm looking forward to starting a new adventure up here yeah awesome well enjoy it it's a it's such a fun hunt and a real big adventure you know i think part of it is there's a lot of learning experience and most of the time the success just comes from just being able to keep going it's 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 tough it's rough but I think when you do find success, it's it's that much sweeter for sure. Absolutely. Or good, sad stories. I've got a few of those too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I'm yeah. going to connect you with uh, our screener. We're going to give you a Live Wild 
apparel. And you know what? I would suggest our lucky ram hat. You know, it's got a sheep on it. And I think it, it's done pretty well for me so far this year. Even though I went unsuccessful on a sheep hunt this year, I did go successful on another one. I drew two sheep tags wearing that hat. So, I mean, it can't be that bad, right? <laughs> yeah, sounds like I might need that. Yeah, for sure, man. All right. Well, best of luck to you and uh, keep me posted. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeremy. All right. We're going to go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, Remy, it's Dusty. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, pretty good. How's it going, man? Good. Glad I can, glad I can hear you clear now. Um, hey, just uh, had, a sur- had a surgery a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, and then had a little setback, so I'm completely out for this season. Uh, haven't been through some surgeries yourself. Just want to know any tips or tricks you've got to kind of mentally stay fresh or things you can do mentally when you uh, can't physically be out there hiking or hunting or doing anything like that to get ready? Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's a good question. I, I still am like dealing with surgery stuff and, and parts that don't work. And it's very frustrating in many cases. But I think one of the things that helped me was just kind of always keeping that, I mean, people say all the time, but like a positive mental attitude, keeping that, that like outlook of, it's all good, (laughs) you know, because like, it's never probably going to be right for me at least. But, you know, in some ways, not letting it slow me down on the things that I love. So I go like, there's clearly like times where I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't even use my hand and or whatever, right? Like it wasn't, wasn't able to get out in the field. But, you know, just kind of like doing what I could when I could, you know, I never pushed, like, I didn't want to cause any damage. I don't know what kind of surgery you got or whatever. It doesn't even matter. But like, you know, also going like, okay, well, I can't do that, but I can do this. There, there was a lot of workarounds that I found. It was like, yeah, that's okay. And then in the times that I couldn't do anything, I just got my phone out and just scrolled through my Go Hunt maps and just like Google Earth, whatever, and just really did a lot of e-scouting and <laughs> just looking at areas. And I did so much research on units. Like that, that part was huge for me. I actually found a hunt that I picked up afterwards that I was like, probably would have never found because I just didn't even have the time to be looking around and messing with stuff and reading about other states and just really diving into that kind of stuff really got me pretty psyched. And then, you know, maybe even having a hunt that's like, this is going to be my hunt after this is all done. Something to look forward to really helped, whether it's, you know, whatever. It's like I had a tag in my pocket and it was like, all right, this is the tag that, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about and I'm going to do this hunt and, and, and that, and it, and it worked out for me. It, it was awesome. That's awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, I got the, uh, Oryx hunt. I'm taking my, uh, soon to be 12 year old daughter on her first hunt, uh, next April. It's good. She gets to come with me. I get to do the shooting. Hopefully if we get something, but got that to look forward to, but you know, I got bull elk last year was my first bull and spotted them using actually tips from your, uh, from your glassing podcast. So appreciate all the help. Awesome, man. Well, that, that's going to be awesome. And yeah, keep me posted. I'd love to hear how it goes and hear how it pans out. We'll do it. Thanks a lot, Remy. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. We're going to jump into one more caller here. Hey, Remy. How you doing? Hey, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, pretty good. How are you? Oh, doing well, man. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I got to say just right off the bat, thank you so much for uh, everything you do on this podcast, man. I, I listen to every, every podcast and talk to other HUD buddies. We all listen to you and uh, just so much uh, valuable wisdom resources, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in as well. Uh, what's, yeah. your, uh, what's your question? So 
um, I'm hunting uh, G-Zone in Southern California. Um, first year with the bow. Um, I put in the, the you know the twenty some days of um, uh, archery hunting in for my first year in this uh, in this particular zone, this particular spot. Um, spent a ton of time trying to get to know the area, and um, you know before season and all that. I found the, found deers. I chased them around with the bow. Wasn't able to get anything. What um, wasn't able to launch any arrows. But this year in rifle season, uh, I get there on opening day, and it's just a sea of orange pumpkin everywhere and hunters everywhere um hearing gunshots everywhere and i'm just about to go backpack up into these same uh probably like a square mile elevation island that's like six thousand feet um about a square mile that I, i'm gonna back back up to you but um I'm, I'm like second guessing going back up there because of all the pressure that it experienced on opening day um do you think i should be maybe looking at another area that I haven't scouted before or um, how long does it take those deer to sort of like uh, mule deer to like um, calm down and, and get back into the normal groove after like such a busy opening day? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a definite problem or whatever that people run into pretty much everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go, right? If it's a general type hunt, opening day is a madhouse. The second day isn't as busy. And by the time you get later on in the season, it can almost seem like nobody's hunting. And, you know, it just depends on the deer and the animals. You know, when you think about like the, this particular spot that you're going into, the nice thing is you have knowledge of the area. You know that there is deer there. And if it was me, I'd probably give it a try for the fact that like, you know, there's deer there, right? Because you don't, you could go to another spot and you don't know the pressure at those other spots either. It could have been as much or more. So the thing about this is you have some knowledge and you, you kind of have some real-time knowledge. The other thing is, yeah, those deer might be hiding or they might go nocturnal, but also maybe the deer where you're going didn't necessarily get pushed out or, you know, they didn't get encountered. Not every deer got saw a hunter and some of them did and heard the commotion, but maybe they were in the timber on the other side that particular day or just never crossed paths with anyone. So, you know, I think if it was me, I'd probably just say I would stick to that at least and give it a try because you just, you have so much knowledge of it already that you might be burning your wheels and, and running into similar or worse problems somewhere else. Now you could go somewhere else and shoot, pop into animals, what have you. But like, I feel, I feel like knowledge is super valuable and the knowledge that you have of this particular spot uh, you know, might, might help you when it comes time to, oh, I'm not seeing anything, but where's a place right here that maybe they would use as an escape where eh, it's like, here's a canyon on the backside that's super thick. And like, this is a place that a deer could hide and nobody's going to hunt in or what have you. Right. So I, I feel like you could kind of extrapolate that off based on what you're seeing and, and where the action was, if that makes sense. Gosh. Yeah, totally. Hey, thank you. Yeah, man. I, I mean, keep me posted because I, I know that it can be hard hunting in there, but it can also be good hunting as well. Especially it's like when that opening day hits, I know I'm dreading, a, I'm about to go into an opening day hunt here. And I, every, every year I say the same thing. I'm like, why do I hunt opening day? Cause, but it's just hard not to, right? Because right. there's like, right. it's the first crack at them, but the amount of people. And then later on, I'll go back and things quiet down. It's harder hunting because there's, the animals definitely are are displaced. They're a little more nocturnal, but sometimes it's better to just have fewer people and and a little bit of knowledge than have 
there's both sides of the coin. Like opening day can be extremely successful for a lot of people. Um, we always have a lot of success on opening days. And then later on, you have to hunt a little bit harder, but sometimes just having a little knowledge of the area goes a long ways. I see. Okay. Yeah, there, there was definitely, uh, we had some bullets flying over our ridges and uh, pretty pretty crazy, uh, kind of like a war zone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've experienced the war zone many places, many times. I'm like, I swear, it's just not worth it. Like there's just... I don't know, man. It, it's it's tough. And, but, you know, if you can find us, that's the other thing too. You know, I would maybe pick a backup spot that is like, all right, this is not going to have as many people. Maybe it's a lot harder to get into and and maybe try that out. That's, that's also another option. You know, if you go like you get in there, it's like there's still dudes everywhere and it's just not worth it. You know, go, go deeper and further. It, it, it's always worked for me of like, I'm going to find the spot where nobody's at. Maybe there's no animals, but at least I don't see any people. And if I do find an animal, I'm hunting something that hasn't been hunted. There's a lot to be said for that as well. But luckily, it's a uh, you know it's an hour hour and twenty minute drive from home, and I'm gonna backpack up there for and stay up there like up in the elevation for three nights rather than up and down the the canyons, spook and everything. So I'll definitely let you know how it goes. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, uh, stay on the line. We'll get uh, some information from you and send you some live wild. Gear, thanks again for your question and definitely keep me posted on your season. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Yep. Catch you later. Well, thanks so much for everyone that called in. You know, I really enjoy being able to do these live podcasts, especially during or mid-season. You know, it's like, hey, I was out last week and this happened and it's always awesome to be able to give real-time information. I'm going to get back out and get in the glass here because... It's about that time where animals should start showing up. I'm doing a little bit of scouting today. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. If you have any other questions, as always, feel free to reach out via social media. Instagram um, is the best. I, I see a lot of the questions. I try to, at nighttime, I try to pick a few and an talk and can't get to all of them, unfortunately, but glad I'm able to do this where you can do the call-in thing and, and get some other questions if you got stuff on, you know, feel free to shoot me a message. And sometimes you might notice if I see a lot of questions come in about a certain topic, then that becomes a podcast in a future episode. So don't be afraid to reach out. And if you've got success or whatever, feel free to include me in that as well. I love seeing that those success stories and in other things too. So thank you guys so much. As, as a reminder too, or one of our great partners, partner with this podcast, Stone Glacier, they have some incredible packs. You know, if you're looking for... I don't know, when, it, when it's like mid-season this time of year, there's always some things and pieces of gear that you're like, ooh, maybe I should upgrade that. You know, the, there's a lot of the other products that they have, tents, sleeping bags, just some incredible stuff, uh, gators, bino harnesses. They've got a little bit of everything. And the thing I love about that company, you know, pretty much everything they do is made by hardcore hunters. It's lightweight. It's very well thought out. And it's extremely tested. You know, I've got stuff from them that... I've been testing for two years and they're like, we're going to make a tweak on this. We're going to make a tweak on that. And when something comes out, it's definitely right. I was thinking about that today when I was, I was testing something and I'm like, when's this going to come out? And they're like, oh, we just want to make a couple little tweaks. And every time there's a little tweak, it's just that much better. So I know that it's extremely well thought out gear, extremely awesome gear. As always, you guys can use code LiveWild, get free shipping if you're interested in anything on their website. And I'm just going to say until next week, live wild. We'll catch you guys later.